is ARN. Decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts. This is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your Squirrel, the host, coming to you from the ARN studios, high atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods, where it's starting to warm up a little bit. (laughs) Um, It did not get below zero last night, and we are supposed to get up in the 20s today, but we're also supposed to get about a foot of snow. (laughs) So uh, the uh, snow boots are by the front door. I'm ready to go shovel whenever that is needed um we're gonna have to keep the driveway clear um it was decided last night for communications purposes uh, we made the call last night to cancel youth group at the church today Um, that way we could let everybody know it wouldn't be a last minute decision um because uh it's actually supposed to get even more snow at the church And uh, we'd rather be safe than sorry. If it turns out we didn't get a lot of snow and we don't have youth group, we're fine. (laughs) If if we had decided to go ahead and we'd gotten tons of snow, it would have been hard to get a hold of everybody at the last minute. So we are not having youth group tonight at Frenchtown Community Church, which gives me a little bit extra time to uh, polish up my message for Blackfoot Community Bible Church in... Um, Ovando, where I will be preaching this Sunday as we are working our way through the book of Ephesians. Looking forward to that. Um, Always a good time getting together with with the folks up there. Last time we were up there, it was Christmas party, which is hard to believe that it was right before Christmas. Um, In, in a lot of ways, Christmas seems like it was a long time ago, doesn't it? And it was just a couple of weeks. Um, but we are in January. We are plugging along. Today is the 17th day of January, 2024. It is a Wednesday, as I think I already said. Because <laughs> that's when we have youth group. Um, uh, I'm kind of... I actually got a good night's sleep last night. I'm much more awake than I was yesterday, but uh, I'm I'm not as clear-headed as I'd like to be this morning. Um, Why am I doing a morning podcast? I am not a morning person, and I've been doing a morning podcast for three years now. Oh, 7.30 a.m. This is Squirrel Chatter. A podcast dedicated to sleep deprivation, scripture, theology, history, current events, and whatever else I want to talk about. We webcast every Monday through Friday at 7.30 a.m. Mountain on Twitter, Facebook, and Rumble. And then the audio podcast is available for download wherever you find fine podcasts. Squirrel Chatter is a proud member of the Christian Podcast Community. I encourage you to head on over to ChristianPodcastCommunity.com. Check out all the great curated podcasts that are over there. You are certain to find something worth listening to. I guarantee it. All right. Uh, What do we got coming up today? We have our scripture readings from the Legacy Standard Bible. We have prayers from the Book of Common Prayer. We have a reading from John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ. 
And our study Bible level Bible study of Deuteronomy continues where we are in chapter 24, starting in verse 6. Okay, let us begin, as is our practice, with the prayer of confession from the 2019 Book of Common Prayer. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And apart from your grace, there is no health in us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare all those who confess their faults. Restore all those who are penitent, according to your promises declared to all people in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may now live a godly, righteous, and sober life, to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Grant to your faithful people, merciful Lord, pardon and peace, that we may be cleansed from all our sins and serve you with a quiet mind. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now our prayer for the reading of the word. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and the comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Mm. Our scripture reading today is Genesis 26 and Psalm 26. Genesis chapter 26. Now there was a famine in the land, besides the previous famine that had occurred in the days of Abraham. So Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And Yahweh appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your seed I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. And I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and I will give your seed all these lands, and by your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham listened to my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac lived in Gerar. Then the men of the place asked about his wife, and he said, She is my sister. For he was afraid to say, My wife, thinking, Lest the men of this place kill me on account of Rebekah, for she is beautiful in appearance. Now it happened, when he had been there a long time, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out a window and saw, and behold, Isaac was caressing his wife Rebekah. Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, surely she is your wife. How then did you say she is my sister? And Isaac said to him, Because I said, Lest I die on account of her. And Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech commanded all the people, saying, He who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year one hundredfold. And Yahweh blessed him. And the man became great and continued to grow greater until he became very great. 
And he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herbs and of many servants, so that the Philistines were jealous of him. Now all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father, the Philistines stopped up by filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are too mighty for us. And Isaac departed from there and camped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. Then Isaac dug again the wells of water which had been dug in the days of his father Abraham. But the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. And he called them by the same names by which his father had called them. Then Isaac's servant dug in the valley and found there a well of flowing water. And the herdsmen of Gerar contended with the herdsmen of Isaac, saying, The water is ours. So he named the well Essek, because they quarreled with him. Then they dug another well, and they contended over it also. So he called it Sitna. Then he moved away from there and dug another well, and they did not contend over it. So he named it Rehoboth. And he said, At last Yahweh has made room for us, and we will be fruitful in the land. And he went up from there to Beersheba. And Yahweh appeared to him that night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your seed for the sake of my servant Abraham. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of Yahweh and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servant dug out a well. Now Abimelech came to him from Gerar with his advisor, Huzoth and Phicol, the commander of his army. And Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, since you hate me and have sent me away from you? Then they said, We see plainly that Yahweh has been with you. So we said, Let there now be an oath between us, between you and us, and let us cut a covenant with you, that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done you nothing but good, and have sent you away in peace. You, and now, you are now the blessed of Yahweh. Then he made them a feast, and they ate and drank. In the morning they arose early, and each swore to the other. Then Isaac sent them away, and they departed from him in peace. Now it happened on that day that Isaac's servants came in and told him about the well which they had dug, and said to him, We have found water. So he called it Sheba. Therefore the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. And Esau was forty years old. And he took his wife Judith, the daughter of Berai the Hittite, and, and he took as a wife Judith, the daughter of Berai the Hittite, and also Basimath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, and they brought bitterness to Isaac and Rebekah. Now, Psalm 26 of David. Give justice to me, O Yahweh, for I have walked in my integrity. And I have trusted in Yahweh, I will not waver. Test me, O Yahweh, and try me. Refine my mind and my heart, for your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. I do not sit with worthless men, and I will not go with pretenders. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I shall wash my hands in innocence, so I will go around your altar, O Yahweh in order to proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and to recount all your wondrous deeds. O Yahweh, I love the habitation of your house and the place where you, you 
the place where your glory dwells. Do not take my soul away along with the sinners, nor my life with men of bloodshed, in whose hands is a wicked scheme, and whose right hand is full of bribes. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground. In the congregations I shall bless Yahweh. Now our reading from Daily Readings from the Life of Christ. Today's devotional is Jesus' definition of judging. Do not judge so that you will not be judged, Matthew 7, 1. One of the central messages of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount to his followers is for them to be discerning and perceptive in what they believe and what they do. All Christians need to make every effort to judge between truth and falsehood, between the internal and the external, between reality and sham, and between true righteousness and false righteousness. Every message we hear is to be judged for the soundness of its doctrine. Paul told the Galatians, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. Not to rebuke sin is a form of hatred, not love. Refusing to warn a person about his sin is just as unloving as refusing to warn him about a serious disease he may have. The writer of Hebrews calls for a level of spiritual maturity wherein Christians, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil, Hebrews 5.14. So, in Matthew 7.1, Jesus is not telling us never to think or make value judgments. He is referring to the self-righteous, egotistical judgment and unmerciful condemnation of others practiced by the scribes and Pharisees. Their primary concern was not to help others from sin to holiness, but to condemn them to eternal judgment because of actions and attitudes that did not square with their own worldly, self-made traditions. Jesus is referring to the judgment of motives that no human being can know of another, judgment of external form. What Jesus is forbidding is self-righteous, hasty, unmerciful, prejudiced, and unwarranted condemnation based on human standards and human understanding. Ask yourself, this is one Bible verse our culture feels good about knowing and thrusting into the faces of Christians at every opportunity. But how do you see this concept twisted in people's dealings with others and in matters of morality? Yeah, it is probably, um, I heard someone say many years ago that that might be, judge not lest you be judged, might be the most quoted Bible verse of these days. Um, and it is um, always used to deflect the the pointing out of sin. Um, and And... Judgment is our, not ours. Judgment is God's. God defines sinful behavior. And when we point out something that God has defined as sinful behavior, we are not judging. We are warning. And we are communicating God's righteous standard. That's a different thing entirely from judging. Um, and condemning and everything. Because 
if we do it rightly, we should point out the sinful behavior, call for repentance, and proclaim the forgiveness that's available in Jesus Christ. That's not judging. That's a different thing entirely. All right, we are in Matthew, or excuse me, we are in Deuteronomy 24. <laughs> we are looking at um, you know, the book of Deuteronomy, and we're picking up in verse 6. Now, these are, are various rules and laws, and, and remember, um, Moses is restating a lot of the law, and he's also taking the law as it was applied to Israel living in the camps to applying the law to Israel spread throughout the land. So it's, it's, it's not different law, but it's different application of the same standards of the law that we find in the other four books of the Pentateuch. So let me read. Um, we will just look at verse 6 first. No one shall take a hand mill or an upper millstone in pledge, for he would be taking a life in pledge. So this is this is dealing with um, you know pledges or surety of a of a loan or debt or obligation. You weren't supposed to take the millstones. Now a hand mill is you know a a. Uh, you know, for grinding grain by hand. And then the upper millstone was for a larger grinding platform. And these were not to be taken as pledges because these are the means of producing food. Um, you have to grind the grain before you can make the bread. So this was, if you take away somebody's millstone, you take away their ability to, to, to live because they would not be able to prepare food. Um, and so God says, don't take this as a pledge. So there are, there are things you should take as surety for a pledge. Don't take a person's means of making a living. Um, you know, you can imagine a, a, a carpenter owes you money and because he cannot pay his debt, you take from him his hammers and saws. Well, now he's never going to pay your debt because he can't earn a living. Um, this is this is the same sort of principle, you know. Don't cut off your nose to spite your face. Um, if somebody owes you a debt and you take their ability to to eat, you're essentially killing them. You're never going to recover your debt. So don't take the means of production, especially the means of production of food, as surety for your debt. Then in verse 7, and this is one that, again, we were talking last week about the fact that the Bible is actually very anti-slavery, even though it was misused by many to justify chattel slavery in the American South prior to the Civil War, and it is some of those passages that were misused are pointed out by critics of the Bible to say this is why the Bible is, quote unquote, an immoral book. It supports slavery. It doesn't support slavery. Verse 7 of 
Deuteronomy chapter 24, deals directly with the type of slavery that was practiced by the British Empire, which the United States inherited from Great Britain. Verse 7 reads, If a man is caught kidnapping any of his brothers of the sons of Israel, and he mistreats him or sells him, then that thief shall die, so you shall purge the evil from among you. Now, this is not speaking specifically about slavery, but it does talk about you know, kidnapping and selling somebody, so slavery is touched on here. It's a prohibition against kidnapping. Um, it was to be punished by death. Um, so, you know, whether you kidnap somebody to use them yourself or kidnap somebody to save them, that was a death penalty issue and honestly should be still today. Um, just some of the things I've read about the modern practice of, of human trafficking. People are evil. <laughs> and I don't know that there's any place where it is displayed more than in human trafficking. Um, I was reading an um, article the other day about one of the porn websites, which thankfully is now mostly blocked in Montana um, and other places around the nation. Um, and honestly, these porn websites need to be shut down. It, it is a criminal enterprise. And the article that I was reading made that clear in that these were, they, they, had, they had, somebody had gone through the videos on the channel and identified dozens of underage girls who were being used as sex slaves and filmed for consumption on pornographic websites. And it, it, it was, it's shocking and it's disgusting and it's, you know, again, another sign of the depravity of man and why it's not criminal. Why, why aren't law enforcement going after these people? They are vile and evil. I don't understand it. I mean, we, we saw that, you know, the whole Jeffrey Epstein thing was that he had coerced underage women, you know, girls, teenage girls, to be sex slaves on his estates for his use and the use of his guests, um, which included some very powerful people um, who were reportedly filmed and blackmailed. You know. This is death penalty stuff, folks. It really needs to be. It's vile. And that's what verse 7 is talking about. Not specifically sex slaves. It's just talking about, you know, kidnapping somebody for resale or for your own use, either as labor or whatever. So this is something that, that I think is, is, I mean, easily, we can easily see the application as it, extends into our time today. Verses 8 and 9. 
take care against an infection of leprosy to be very careful and to do according to all that the Levitical priests instruct you, as I have commanded them, so you shall be careful to do. Remember what Yahweh your God did to Miriam on the way as you came out of Egypt. Now he's referring back to um, Miriam had had opposed her brother uh, Moses at one point. Um, I think, if I remember correctly, out of jealousy. I haven't gone back and reviewed that. Um, but God struck her with leprosy. And the regulations given in the law about lepers having to, you know, be separated from the nation. Um, and there are various, various types of disease which are covered by the term leprosy in the Bible. Um, and it says, you know, and, and the specific laws are given back in Leviticus 13 and 14 about how to deal with these um, skin diseases. And we won't go into all of that, but it, it's just, there was, there was what you should do when it became evident that somebody had leprosy, they were to be separated from the general population, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then how to demonstrate when someone had been cured of leprosy. But they had to go to the priest. They had to be examined. They had to be examined over a period of time. It was not an instant, you know, oh, yeah, you're good. Back in, no, they had to be watched to make sure that the infection was gone. And these were clearly rules to protect the nation from the spread of contagious, um, debilitating, disfiguring diseases. Um and and but leprosy was also used by God as a punishment. As again, he had punished Miriam with leprosy. Leprosy was also used as a sign. Remember when Moses went to the Israelite went to the, the Hebrews in Egypt and, and told them that, that God had sent him to lead them out of Egypt. And they asked for signs. One of the signs that God had given him was to put his hand inside his cloak, pull it out, and his hand would be leprous, put it back in his cloak, and pull it back out, and his hand would be whole, you know, with no, no evidence of disease. Um, so leprosy was used as a sign. Leprosy was used as a judgment. Uh, but in you know general, leprosy was a, a debilitating, disfiguring disease or group of diseases that were contagious. And so these laws were in place to protect the population from these diseases. So Moses again here says, take care against the infection of leprosy. Be on guard, be careful, do everything that's written in the law. Do what the priests tell you. Um, so that, that, then verse 10, uh, 10 through 13 when you make your neighbor a loan of any sort, you shall not enter his house to take his deposit. You shall stand outside, and the man to whom you make the loan shall bring the deposit out to you. Now, if he is an afflicted man, you shall not sleep with his deposit. When the sun goes down, you shall surely return the deposit to him, that he may sleep in his cloak 
and bless you, and it will be righteousness for you before Yahweh your God. So a pledge or a deposit, this was the guarantee of a loan. We've already seen you weren't supposed to take a person's millstones. Um, often, if someone, it says if, if someone was, uh, it says if he is an afflicted man, it's not talking about a disease, that's talking about someone who's poor. He's afflicted with poverty. So don't take a poor person's means of staying warm at night in surety of a loan. Um, so, you know, don't forcefully exact payment. Don't enter his house. You know, don't take a poor person's cloak, his means of, of staying warm. Um, lending to the poor was to be done without interest, without coercion, you know, to repay. And the extension of the loan, you know, that it was, it was, these loans were, were often to be forgiven, um, especially in the sabbatical years. So a lot of times lending to the poor is giving to the poor. That really should be the attitude of the lender. Now, the, the, the reason it's called lending and not giving is because of human pride. Um, it seems to have fallen away uh, in recent times, but it used to be quite, um, quite a stigma to accept charity. So charity would often be disguised as a loan so that that stigma wasn't there. You know, you're not, you're not being, you're not receiving charity. You're just borrowing a little bit to get by. Um, that stigma has largely gone away as we live more and more in a society without shame. So, you know, that's something to think about. But, you know, the, the giving of a loan to the poor really was, um, you know, more of a, a gift of charity than it was a business loan to make money. I uh, remember this doesn't forbid business ventures. The, the loaning without interest really is helping the poor. It's not talking about investing in a business opportunity or, or anything like that. Um, this was dealing with helping the poor. Um, I, I once uh, worked in a, in a business where I, I was a salesman, so I wasn't in the office very, very much, but I had a desk where I could take care of my paperwork. And my desk was in the corner of the office of the fellow who did the debt collection for the business. Past due loan, past due accounts, and that sort of thing. He was the guy that that made those phone calls, and he had on the wall next to his desk a cartoon, 
And the cartoon was two guys in typical 1930s gangster attire. The, the double-breasted striped suit and the, the fedora hat, etc. And, and they're holding baseball bats. And it's set in an alleyway. And on the ground is a mangled person who has obviously just received a horrible beating at the hands of these two bruisers. And the caption was, if you have already sent in your payment, please disregard this notice. <laughs> I just remember laughing about that. But he says, don't go into a person's house. To Don't, don't force the repayment of these types of loans. It's not the way that the person of God should handle these things. Then, verse 14 and 15 is dealing with day laborers. Um, you shall not oppress a hired person who is afflicted and needy, whether he is one of your brothers or one of your, one of your sojourners who is in the land within your gates. You shall give him his wages on his day before the sun goes down, for he is afflicted and sets his soul on it, so that he will not cry against you to Yahweh, and it become a sin to you. So the, the poor and destitute, who are vastly in need of money now, when you hire them to work for them, pay them at the end of the day, so that they can go and get food. You know, then they can come back and work for you the next day. You pay them at the end of the day. Um, this is this is different from a long-term employee. You know, if you have a long-term employee who works for you every day and you pay him every week or every two weeks or whatever the pay schedule is for that job, because he has a regular income, he's able to plan ahead. But if you hire a day laborer, you know, the, the, the poor, the destitute who's looking to make, you know, to need some money and you need somebody, especially dealing with farm work, because most of this was, was agricultural work in ancient Israel, you would pay them at the end of the day so that they could eat. They wouldn't cry against you for withholding their labors. If they're living day-to-day -day on wages, then they need to be paid. Um, this is talked about in, Math in Leviticus 19, and then Jesus' uh, story in, in Matthew 20 about the, the rich man who hired people to work in his field. Same thing, at the end of the day, they receive their pay. Then verse 16 Fathers shall not be put to death for the sins of their sons, nor shall sons be put to death for their fathers. Each shall be put to death for his own sin. You don't punish the children of a criminal. You don't punish the parents of a criminal. You punish the criminal. That's just straight-up jurisprudence. The, the punishment for a crime should be borne by the person who committed the crime. Um, so you, you don't, you know, if somebody submits a, commits a crime, you don't execute his children for that crime. 
And if somebody commits a crime, you don't execute a parent for that crime. So, then verses 17 and 18 talk about equality before the law. You shall not per pervert the justice due a sojourner or an orphan, nor take a widow's garment and pledge. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and that Yahweh your God redeemed you from there. Therefore I am commanding you to do this thing. So, the law should be applied equally to all the members of society. Yeah. If a rich person breaks the law, they don't get off because they're rich. If a poor person breaks the law, they're not excessively punished because they're poor. So those who are influential in society and those who have no influence in society are to be treated the same. Then verses 19 through 22 are dealing with providing for the poor. And this is, again, a, another, another thing, and I've got a couple of things to say here. When you reap your harvest in your field and have forgotten a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner or for the orphan and for the widow, in order that Yahweh your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive tree, you shall not go over the boughs after you finish. It shall be for the sojourner, for the orphan, and for the widow. So you're gathering in grain, and as you load up your cart to take the grain back to your barn, you forget a sheaf of wheat. So don't go back for it. Leave it there for the poor so that the poor person can come and have some, find some grain. Um, this was an important way of providing for the poor. Notice you don't give them the grain. They still have to go out and get it. And that's an important thing um, because, you know, they have to work for their keep. And, and that's, that's an important thing. It's not a handout. It's allowing, it's leaving something there for them to come gather. And when you beat your olive tree, which is the, you know, to harvest olives, the tree was shaken. Um, and, and often done by, you know, beating the trunk of the tree would cause the, the uh, fruit to fall. So after you do that, don't crawl around the branches plucking the ones that didn't fall off. You leave those for the sojourner, the widow, and the orphan so that they can harvest some olives from your trees. Same thing, verse 21, when you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not glean it after you finish. It shall be for the sojourner, for the orphan, and for the widow. So again, this is a case of, you know, don't take everything, you know, when you harvest the, you know, do a normal harvest, don't do an extra rigorous harvest. So that, again, the, the sojourner can come and the widow and the orphan can come and get food. Now, the sojourner owns no land. And the widow and the orphan have no means of support. So the sojourner, the widow, and the orphan are those who are unable to support themselves. There is a huge difference, and this is the biggest criticism I have 
with the modern welfare state, whether it's Europe or the United States or any of these quasi-socialist welfare state ideas that have taken hold in Western society since World War II, springing mainly from the works of Marx. The problem with the modern welfare state is it does not distinguish between those who are unable to work to support themselves and those who are unwilling to work and support themselves. If a person is able but unwilling, they should receive no support. If a man will not work, neither let him eat, as Paul says to the Thessalonians. So don't, you know, don't enable somebody not to work. But at the same time, you know, if someone cannot support themselves, then yes, absolutely help that person. Because that is kind and compassionate. Matter of fact, both, both instances are kind and compassionate. It is compassionate not to enable someone who is able to work but unwilling. It's compassionate not to, you know, not to enable them. And it's compassionate to take care of those who are unable to take care of themselves. Um, and both of those are massively biblical things to keep in mind. And he, he says here in... Uh, um, that, uh, you know, do this. You remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I'm commanding you to do this thing. Same thing as he said in verse 18. So all of this about taking care of the poor and the destitute, he says, remember, you were slaves in Egypt. You know, have compassion on those who are struggling and here is how you should provide for them or ways in which you should provide for them. So we will pick up next week in chapter 25. Again, these, these seem disconnected, but they're not. Um, you know, this is, this is important stuff. I mean, they, these were different bullet points in Moses's address. So there is some separation between these things. But at the same time, this is, you know, how do you care for the poor as you're in the land? Um, starts with don't take a person's ability to make a living or, you know, to prepare food as pledge. Don't take a person's ability to stay warm at night as pledge for a loan. Don't, you know, be greedy for every last sheaf of grain when you harvest your field, leave something for the poor. Same with your olives, same with your grapevines. Don't, you know, don't be ruled by greed. Be open-handed with the blessings that God has given you and help those that are less fortunate with, than you because God has helped you. <laughs> and, and that's kind of the principle there. And so we need to keep that in mind. All right, let us now recite our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. 
He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now the colic for the second Sunday of Epiphany. Almighty God, whose Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, is the light of the world, grant that your people, illumined by your word and sacraments, may shine with the radiance of Christ's glory, that he may be known, worshipped, and obeyed to the ends of the earth. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, now and forever. Amen. Macaulic for grace. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, you have brought us safely to the beginning of this day. Defend us by your mighty power that we may not fall into sin nor run into any danger, and that guided by your Spirit we may do what is righteous in your sight. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And for the unrepentant we pray. Merciful God, you desire not the death of sinners, but rather that they should turn to you and live. And through your only Son, you have revealed yourself as the God who pardons iniquity. Have mercy on the unrepentant and those who do not believe. Awaken in them by your word and Holy Spirit a deep sense of their sinfulness and peril. Take from them all ignorance, hardness of heart, and contempt of your word. Grant them to know and feel that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which they must be saved but only the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so bring them home and number them among your children, that they may be yours forever through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. All right, folks, that is Squirrel Chatter for this Wednesday. I wish you the best of days. We got Theology Thursday coming up tomorrow. We got Federalist Friday coming up on Friday. And then, again, I'm preaching at uh, Blackfoot Community Bible Church in Ovando, Montana, this Sunday. Look forward to seeing the folks up there. And if you're in the area, stop by. Love to have you with us. All right, folks, have a great Wednesday. Do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not do. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. We'll see you again here tomorrow for another episode of Squall Chatter. Take care. God bless. Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster.